Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. It's so good, like I said, to be with everyone, and I'm really excited about the word today. How many of you are excited about the word today? You don't even know what the word is. You know, I could be saying, we're going to Leviticus 13, you know, we're going to talk about the skin rashes. I don't know. But <laughs> I'm excited you're excited about the word because here's what I know. I know that God's word is active and alive. Amen? Yes. And it says this. Think about this. The Bible is alive, meaning it's moving, it's speaking. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way. Many of you know this verse, but it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This verse is powerful because it speaks to the power of God's word, not just when we read it, but when we speak it, when we preach it, when we sing it. We just sang some songs, right, that told us some truth. How many of you guys agree with that, right? When we speak and sing the power of God's word, it, it penetrates our hearts. It penetrates our soul, our spirit, and our attitudes. And so the prayer today is that, God, would you do that? Would you penetrate our heart? Would you come into our lives? Would you do something today? So I want to bring some closure to this series we've been doing called Orbiting a Beautiful Life. We've been kind of talking around this idea of discovering the heart of faith from the fringes. Because here's what we know, is that all of us at some point in life, and maybe some of us have always been in this space that we would identify as orbit, we, are, we find ourselves distant, not only from the Lord, but from the life that God wants for us. We feel like we're always trying to get there, or perhaps maybe even the life that you want for yourself. And so we've been kind of journeying in this. And so, so many people, I mean this, have been sharing how, this, how these last number of weeks, the last, maybe even the last few months, God's really been stirring in their heart, moving in their heart. And we're so excited to hear about that. How many of you would say, just lift your hand, if God's been like kind of encouraging you and challenging you in great ways just in the last few weeks here at the church? Yeah, a lot of us, right? Next week we have baptism, and I think we have over 13 or 13 or so already signed up to be baptized. Like, like we can celebrate what God's doing, right? God is doing some good work. But we're in part four, which is the last week of this, or the last message in this series, and I've titled today's message, Cut to the Heart. Everyone say, Cut to the Heart. Look at your neighbor. Say, cut to the heart. Now say, spiritually speaking. <laughs> Just disclaimer. I don't want anybody feeling threatened today. Obviously, we are talking about how the word of God, the gospel, can cut to our heart. It can get to our heart. And I want us to be truly cut to the heart today with the sacrifice of Christ. Have you ever had someone do something for you that was so kind, so generous, even sacrificial, that you almost like felt it in your heart. You know what I'm talking about? Like you did literally get cut to the heart by what they did for you. I remember about six or seven years ago, uh, Christy, she broke her ankle really badly. She couldn't walk on it. She couldn't drive for months. It was a bad deal. I was like carrying her on my shoulders for several weeks. It was, (laughs) now she had one of those cool knee scooters, you know, she was going around. You guys, you remember that? That was so good. You remember, you want to go back? No. Um, Don't, but at the same time of her broke ankle, we were also uh, finishing up what is our church next door. We were renovating it and doing a building project. So I was very, very busy during this season. It was a crazy season. And then on top of that, here we got Christy. She's taken out of commission. And 
our kids are all younger, so I'm taking care of my kids, I'm taking care of her, and I'm running at a crazy pace trying to get this church now. Like, it was just, a, you know, you all had the seasons like that, where it's like, this is bananas, right? And in the middle of all that, we had a friend come over, uh, and she said, hey, me and my daughters, we're going to clean your house. And I went, mm, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 we're going to clean your house. We're going to serve you, help you right now, because we know your life's crazy right now. We're going to serve you in a tangible way. And so her and her daughters are like, you know, they took over our house, and they cleaned it top to bottom, which was really good because they did way better than me. And, uh, but how many know that like, when something like that happens, when someone serves you, when someone does something really kind for you, when they do something out of love, you feel it in your heart. You're like cut to the heart, right? And that, my friends, is the heart of the gospel. Sacrificial love is the heart of the gospel. A love so deep that it cuts straight to the heart through all the stuff of life. And I want to deal today with a little bit of that. I want to deal with the gospel today and how it, how it penetrates the heart. One of the core questions that I believe people have when it comes to the gospel, at some point in your life, someone asks a question like this. They say, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? I don't really get it. Like, why did he have to sacrifice his life? Why did, why did God do it the way he did it, right? If he's so loving, why didn't he just snap his finger and make everything better? I mean, in, in some ways, don't you wonder, like, why God did what he did? Why did Jesus do it this way? Why does Christianity say that everyone must go through Jesus? These are like some of these questions about the gospel that so many people, no matter if you have been a Christian for years, at some point we kind of ask ourselves just a little bit like, why, God, did you do it the way you did it? I know many people who have been followers of Christ for years, and this is a real question underneath their faith. So I want to jump straight into this with the fact that Jesus made no bones about why he came. He said that he came to give his life, to sacrifice his life. And he even told his disciples where it would happen and how it would happen, when it would happen. We find this in Mark 10, starting in verse 32. But this is this, in this section of the Bible, it's actually, if there's, there's a subheading when you're reading the Bible, it says Jesus predicts his death a third time. So he's, he's been saying this a lot. In Mark 8, he tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to die for you. In Mark 9, he says, hey, I'm going to die for you. And then in Mark 10, he says it again with more details. And I'll just read this. He says, again, he took the 12 aside, told them he, what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will contempt, condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. All that happened. Three days later, he will rise. That happened too. Jesus knew that his death was absolutely mission critical for him to go and fulfill why God had sent him. He knew that he had to give his life in order for us to receive life. He, and, and I know this seems like, yeah, I, I get this. This is like central like Bible teaching stuff. But I want, you, I want us to really get underneath this. Because the kind of life that we've been talking about in John 10, 10, the gift or the life that is the life to the full, the beautiful life, the kind of life we talked about life uh, last week, the gift of eternal life, that life, Jesus had to actually die in order for us to experience it. Now, that does not sound surprising for a lot of us, but again, why? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Well, in order to answer that, I want to go a few verses down in Mark 10, verse 45, where Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Everyone say ransom. ransom. 
That phrase, to give his life as a ransom for many, actually sums up why he had to die. It's why God chose to do it this way. It's called substitutionary sacrifice, which I'll talk about in a moment. But this word ransom is a bit odd, right? Because in our culture, the word ransom is typically associated with kidnapping, right? Like, that's how we think of the word ransom. And so, theologically speaking, we must ask ourselves, is Jesus being kidnapped? No. There's no Jesus napping here, okay? The original word for ransom in the Greek was the word lutron. Everyone say lutron. And that sounds very futuristic. Yeah, lutron meant to buy the freedom of a slave or prisoner. So it was an exchange, right? The sum of money or goods in exchange for the slave or the prisoner. And Jesus is saying, well, I will exchange my life for your life. And, and really what he's saying is my life in exchange as a ransom for many lives. In essence, we are talking about a trade here. What is the value of Jesus' life? How many slaves can Jesus trade his life for? How many prisoners can he release? This is the idea of trade value. I know many of you are probably not NBA fans, but bear with me as I use a basketball analogy in order to make a brilliant point. <laughs> a few years ago, the OKC Thunder had a player named Paul George. Anybody remember Paul George? If you remember Paul George, say, sure do. Sure. This is Paul George right here, right? So I made a few slides to illustrate this point, but after completely failing in the 2019 playoffs, I harbor no ill will, Paul George goes to Sam Presti, the man, the myth, the legend, the general manager of the Thunder, and he asked to be traded. Paul apparently thought there was no future in OKC, so the Thunder trade Paul George who was an all-star at the time and who had just come off his best season. So the question becomes, what is the trade value of Paul George? Now, to the Clippers, Paul George was worth a lot. In the NBA world, this is a lot. What they ended up doing is they traded, the, the Thunder traded Paul George, received a young budding star named Shea Gilgis-Alexander. They also received another player named Danilo Gallinari and seven future draft picks, meaning for the next seven years, they would get to pick any player they want in the draft and use the Clippers pick to do it. That's a lot in the NBA world, one player for nine players. So the question is, who wins the trade? Oklahoma City wins the trade Hands down, everybody agrees with this. Why? Because one player for nine, it just doesn't add up. In the long run, we win this trade. Hmm. Enough about basketball. Let's get back to Jesus. Everyone say, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says that he is a ransom for many. First <clears throat> John 4.14 says it this way. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the whole world. Everyone say, whole world. The whole world, a ransom for many. So the question is, what is the value, the trade value of Jesus? And so Jesus is actually, what he is worth is, for, is the entire world. Every person is traded for Jesus. Now, this may seem simple, this may seem cheesy, but there is an exchange happening. And here's, here's where this is going to get really fascinating for us, because we think the exchange is Jesus' life for my life, but it's actually something different. Because we, what's being exchanged is life and death. What's being exchanged is sin and freedom. We have to remember, we have to remember that sin equals death, yeah. right? The reason that you and I will die in this life is because we have sinned. Yeah. 
All brokenness, all sickness, all hatred, all wrongdoing is a result of sin. But God provided a way to overcome that sin, to be forgiven and to be reconciled with God, to return to the Garden of Eden, so to speak, and to experience not only this life but eternal life with God. The only way that that exchange works is if Jesus takes on the sin of every person, takes on your sin, and he takes it off of you and cleans the slate, for all those who confess Jesus as Lord. Now, God needed to remove the sin and remove the death sentence off your life. How does he do that? Jesus had to remove the sin off of your shoulders and put it onto his. How does this even work? Why does this trade happen? Well, let's just say it this way. Uh, Nikki Gumbel, who of Alpha illustrates it like this, and it's really simple. He says, uh, imagine this hand is your life, and imagine this book is sin. Every life has sin on it. And in fact, you can think of this as the weight of sin around your shoulders, or maybe a better way to say it is, is you know, the, is, is, it's chains around your ankles or chains around your, around your wrists. You, we are all slaves to sin. And this sin equals death. And we, as we try to deal with this sin, we think God or Jesus comes and says, hey, I want you to give me your life. He actually says, hey, I want you to give me your sin, which is a strange exchange. He's like, I want you to give me your sin. I want to take your sin from you. But we think he's saying, give me your life, give me your brain, give me your commitments, give me your choices, give me everything. We think he's trying to control something from us. He wants to control our life. But Jesus isn't coming to take your life. He's coming to give you life. Amen. That deserves an amen. Yeah. Amen? amen? And so, listen, he asks for our sin. He says, will you give me your sin so I can give you my life? That's the trade which is crazy. By the way, we live in Oklahoma City. We won both those trades. You don't understand that, right? We win every trade because it's so lopsided, and this is the way God designed it. But he says, will you give me your sin? Will you give me your shame? Will you give me your poor choices? Will you give me your hatred? Will you give me your anger? Will you give me your sexual sin? Will you give me your prideful attitude? Will you give me your biggest regrets? Will you give me the sin that you thought I know it's sin, but I'm going to do it anyway. Will you give me your most, the sin that you're most ashamed of? Will you give me the things that you've stolen? Will you give me the lies? Will you give me all the ways you've disobeyed me? Will you give those to me? That's what I want. I don't want you to just give me the sin that you've done. I want you to give me the sin that's been done to you. I want you to give me the pain. I want to get you the brokenness. I want you to give me all the abuse that's been done to you. I want you to give me that because he knows once he frees us of that, once he frees us of that, that's when our life will be transformed from the inside out. So he's like, give me your sins. So when we come into a relationship with Jesus, he's like, you know what? I'm going to take that sin. I'm going I'm to break that chain and I'm going to set you free. Amen. And we now have traded death for life because now we're free of the sin. And Jesus is taking it and he's taking it to the cross. Why? Why does he have to take it to the cross? Why does he have to do it that way? Why does he have to die? And I keep saying it because you're like, why can't God just figure out a different way? But sin equals death. And Jesus, in order to pay the price, had to actually die because of the sin. If you're wondering, why didn't God just snap his fingers to make everything right? Listen, God has chosen love over power. He has power, but he creates and works through love. God created the world in love, and he must redeem it in love. He did not create it in power and for power. 
That's Thanos theology. Y'all get it, right? How many of you guys remember Thanos from Avengers? Say, I do. Check this out. Thanos theology, Thanos theology says, the Marvel Universe villain theology, is, is it okay to use theology in this? Probably not, yeah. But Marvel Universe villain theology says, I'm going to fix problems through power. But what? Marvel Universe superhero theology says something different. You guys remember Iron Man? Iron Man, it says, Marvel Universe Superhero Theology says, I'm going to save the world through sacrifice. How many of you guys know that Marvel is just telling the gospel story? How many know know that Marvel, how many know that Marvel's just making billions off the Bible? What What I'm saying is, the gospel, the truth, doesn't need to be changed. It's the best story ever told. The gospel, the truth, is what cuts to the heart. And this is what's going on. For Why did Jesus have to die? Because he's changing the world through sacrifice. God doesn't snap his finger. He doesn't have that Thanos snap. Don't bring that snap to me. He says, I'm not going to snap my finger to make the world right, even though I have the power to, because I don't change the world. I don't fix the world through control and power. I redeem it through sacrifice and love. Jesus was sinless, which makes him the only one worthy to take our place. Do you understand this? A guilty person cannot substitute for another guilty person. But an innocent person can substitute for the guilty. This is called substitutionary atonement, substitutionary sacrifice. We don't substitute an injured player on the football field for another injured player. We bring in a healthy, fresh player. There's no one but Jesus that can truly exchange our sin for pure grace, forgiveness, and life. Because all of us are guilty. Listen, no one can sub in for your sin but Jesus. He's the only one. Only Jesus can do that. Only God himself can become a ransom for many. He's the only one that can clean the slate and move sin from your shoulders to his. There's a relenting to God that has to occur. What I mean was we have to come to terms with the trade. We have to accept the deal. We have to accept the trade. Hey, give me your sin and I'll give you life. We win the trade, yet we have a problem accepting it. Everyone say accept. Accept. We have to accept the trade. It's It's why it says this in Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning you've accepted the trade, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. you got to believe it in your heart, but you got to say it with your mouth. So many of us are just hoping that we can believe it in our heart, but we don't have to proclaim it. I'm telling you, you got to proclaim it. Then in verse 13, same chapter, Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's the name of the Lord? Jesus, right? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. John 17, 3 says, now this is eternal life. You want to know how to get to heaven, right? That they may know you, the only true God. Remember he said only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There is only one way. 
People don't like to hear this in today's world because he's the only one, though, who actually takes our sin and redeems our life. All other ways, all other religions, all other faith practices, guess what they do? They want you to work your way to heaven, to nirvana, or to paradise. The way of Jesus is the only one that says, God saves you, you don't save you. The only, so the, the, the hope, right, of this series has been that we would share the gospel with anybody who really needs to hear it. Because the gospel is good news. The gospel is it's the only thing that redeems us and takes our sin from us and sets us free. Anyone who needs a little more understanding, that's been our hope that this would help do that. Because we believe God is knocking at the heart of so many in this room, so many in this culture, so many in our city. And he's just saying, will you let me in? God wants to save every one of us, but it requires someone wanting to be saved in order to be saved. The other hope from this series, besides sharing the gospel, is that the gospel will get back into and fire up those who have already got the gospel. We want the gospel, the good news, the power of God's word coming into our life to penetrate our heart and to stir up and to stoke the fire of believers. You know, we sang, we sang that song, The First Love, like we sang this morning, right? Like, Lord, would you stir us up to where we have that passion, that zeal? Maybe we didn't have it at first, but that moment in our life when our passion was, whatever you need, Jesus, I'm all in Jesus, would you provoke that love in us? Even as it matures, even as we change, Lord, may we not drift into orbit. May we not let the fire wane or start to, start to go out, but that, Father, there would be a stoking of the fire. There would be a passion that's stronger, a flame that's hotter. That has been one of the hopes that we've been really leaning into this month, that God, not just would everybody hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus, but would those who have it, would they feel the stoking of the fire in their heart that we may go out and live as he's called us to live. We're calling us back. But listen, when I say calling us back, I don't mean I don't mean like we, we're, we're just coming back to something that is our first love, but I believe it's this way. I believe we're not calling anybody out, but we're calling everybody up. Yes. None of us have the right to call anybody out because none of us are perfect. I stand up here in the grace of Jesus. You stand in the grace of Jesus. But I do believe that the power of God's word calls us up into Christ Jesus. And we have to submit to that. We have to ask ourselves, what is God calling me up into? You know, I recently had uh, a few unrelated conversations, but you ever have those times when you're having conversations that are unrelated, but they're about the same thing? Yes. <laughs> you're like, hold on, I already had this conversation. You're like, no, I didn't. This is a different conversation about the same thing. And the word that kept coming up in these conversations was the word refreshing. Not like, you know, Sprite, but like <laughs> a refreshing of the spirit. Like, like the Lord is refreshing, reviving my, my soul. There is a drive that some of us have been talking about, that we need to start seeking the Lord and seeking his presence. Because the truth is we got to stop orbiting and we got to start seeking. Yeah. Everybody start, say start seeking. seeking. we got to start seeking the refreshment of the Father. Check this out. I love the imagery and power of Psalm 63.1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Acts 3.19 said that this way. Now repent of your sins. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Some of us need refreshment from the presence of the Lord. A time of recommitment, a time 
of revival, a time of renewal, a time of rekindling the fire. We'll call it refreshing today. Everyone say refresh. refresh. Everyone say accept. accept. I shared at uh, Monday Night Prayer that I was, as I was praying earlier this week, I really felt um, the Lord sort of give me this picture around, it was really this picture of a dam, and the water, water was pushing up against the dam, trying to get through, and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't coming through yet, but there was like leaking through the dam. You guys get that picture, right? And then there was this one part that like sprung a leak. <laughs> you know, like kind of a pretty big stream of water coming through. And, and I felt like this picture was a couple things. One, I felt like it was a picture that this is where some of you are. You have a dam in your heart, but God has sprung a leak and he's trying to break through. And God actually wants to let the river flow in your life. But you're going to have to allow that to happen. That, that dam that you keep kind of trying to build up, you're going to have to let the water, let the power and the force push it over. I believe that's for someone today. And someone needs to receive that because God's love wants to come rushing through. But I want to close and I'll come back to that picture in a moment, but I want to close by reading from Acts chapter 2. I just, this is another scripture that the Lord put in my heart this week. And what's really powerful about this passage is this is a moment like right at the beginning of the church. Uh, Jesus had crucified, been resurrected, and, and the Holy Spirit has come on the people. It's, there's a lot going on in this story. I can't explain it all, but this is a powerful moment where Peter actually give his, gives his first gospel sermon. I mean, I'm giving a gospel sermon right now, but he... He did, a, he did the first one post-Jesus, right? And so this is what he said, starting in verse 22. He says, fellow Israelites. Now, we could say, insert all people. Fellow people, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. So he's like, listen, you remember all those miracles he was doing? You remember all those things he was doing? He's healing people. He's feeding thousands of people. He was setting the blind. He was, he was restoring the sight to the blind. He said he did those so that you would know he was exactly who he said he was. And then he says this. This man was handed over you to, to, to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God allowed what happened to Jesus to happen because it was his only way. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. This is so critical. Why was Jesus resurrected? Because he knew that the sin that Satan had seeded into the world, that the only way to overcome that sin was to defeat it once and for all. So he died in the sin, but then in his power, he overcame that sin and resurrected life. And Paul says that we can know that same resurrection. We can walk in the, powerful, in the, in the, in the power of the, the resurrection of Jesus. We can walk in that. And then he says this, God raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. You saw him, we saw him, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and he has poured out what you now see and hear. They're having this moment where God is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving. You guys can see it. God's moving. God's moving. And I feel like, Lord, I'm praying, like, let us see your spirit move. Maybe some of you are seeing it. You're feeling it in your heart. He says, and then in verse 36, 
Jumping down a few verses, he says, Therefore, let all Israel, let all people be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, guess what? They were cut to the heart. Everyone say, cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and Peter said to the other apostles, uh, and said to Peter and the other apostles, "Brothers, what shall we do? What should we do?" They're cut to the heart. Peter replied, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." It's a gift. God's God's Spirit coming into your life. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all who are distant from God, all who orbit, all who of us have been, who have been confused, for all of whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. How many know that's a good word for today? Yeah. So save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted, everyone say accept. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's called revival, right? That's called renewal. That's called, that's called the birth of the church, right? This moment, I'm so moved by it, but I love that moment that I paused on right in the middle when, when, they, when, God, when Peter says, hey, this God has made this Jesus, the, you know, the guy you just killed, who you crucified, He's made him not only Lord, but Messiah, meaning Savior. And when the people heard this, they're like, what did we do? And so they go to Peter and they go to the apostles and they say, what do we got to do? They were cut to the heart so deeply by the truth, by the power of the gospel. They just said, what do we got to do? And Peter, of course, he comes back and I'm like really clear. He's like, oh, you have to repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, I mean, Peter preached the gospel and they were, they were impacted by it. Lives were being changed. Let me ask you. How is God, God's word cutting into your heart right now? What's he saying to you? Because, listen, this isn't about anything that I've said or I, I promise you, this isn't intended to be any sort of moment of revving people up. This is the power of God's word, the power of the truth of the gospel, the most true thing the world has ever known, the only hope we have. That's what this is. And that power, that's what penetrates the heart. That's what comes upon us. I use two words intentionally today that I hope will help. How's the word cutting into your heart today? And I've said the word accept and the word refresh. And so I just want to talk about both of those real quick. Peter says in verse 41, he says, when they said, what do we do? He says, you need to accept the message and be baptized. Accept the message, verse 41, and be baptized. And so what I would say to some of us right here, this is the moment in which you're like, were you, were you going to accept the trade? And, and that, that picture of the dam, I just want you to, someone needs to receive that because it's like we've been fighting against it. We're trying to, we're worried about what people will think. We're worried about, you know, maybe what we used to think. 
but yet we keep seeing and feeling God's love kind of come around us and asking us, just sur surrender. There's something called childlike faith to where questions and concerns and things that don't make sense and worries, insecurities, that we actually have to take a step of faith over those things into acceptance. Like, here's the deal, like doubt, doubt doesn't go away before you take a step. Fear doesn't go away before you take a step. None of those, you, you actually step over them in faith. And, and you say, God, I, I accept what you've done for me, that you've been a ransom for many, including me. And secondly, refresh, meaning revive, recommit, stop orbiting and start seeking the presence of the Lord. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you've received the gospel and it's time for a refreshing of your spirit. I mean, God's word cuts to the heart and it's not just for those who are far from him. God's word cuts to the heart for all of us, cuts to my heart, cuts to your heart. Maybe, maybe you need a distinct moment when you're saying, I'm returning to the Lord. I'm recommitting to the Lord. Maybe that's what you need today. Do it. Do it. Come and get before him and say, Father, I need you in my life. I'm recommitting my heart to you. We are being called up into Christ Jesus. So how's the Lord speaking to your heart? I want to pray for us. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond. So if you just bow your heads, we're going to pray. God, I pray that you would work right now, moving hearts in this room. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.